The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. This is God's Word. He is who He says He is. He has done what He says He has done. And He will do what He says He will do. Amen? Amen. Well, if you are new again, welcome. Uh, We have been going through... uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it's Matthew 5 to 7. We're just going through it chunk by chunk. And so I want to read from Matthew 5, 33 to 37. Uh, We'll pray and then we'll get into it. It says this, it says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or for... Uh, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. I think we'd all say that words matter. Um... Everybody in this room has had words spoken to them whereby those words have encouraged your heart. You've also probably had some words that have said to you that have discouraged your heart, that have hurt. Words matter. Our whole lives revolve around words. We start our day with words. Good morning. Rise and shine. Time to get up. For the 15th time. No, no, time time to get up. (laughs) Really time to get up. Um... We finish our day with words. Good night. I love you. I'll see you. I'll see you in the morning. Words are used throughout our lives. We use words in bedrooms, in kitchens, in workplaces, in boardrooms, in classrooms. We use words in cars. We use words all the time. Words are central to our lives, and it's one of the things that creates a distinction between us and the rest of God's creation, is that we use words to communicate. And God has sovereignly chosen to give us words, to give us language in order that we would be His agents. And so if you go to the beginning of the Bible, we see words right in Genesis 1 and 2. One of the first things we see about God is that God doesn't just exist, but that He speaks words. And those words have power. And so he speaks and says, let there be light, and there is light. And if you read Genesis 1 and 2, you see many different things around words and what words are used for. In Genesis 1 and 2, words are used to reveal truth. Um, We know things about God because we have words. Not just because we have sight but because we have words. The infinite and almighty one has made himself knowable and understandable through language. Words build relationship. God uses words and language to commune with humanity and humans likewise one to another. Words are used to describe and define reality. So through words, God's character is defined and described to us. So if you read the Bible, we've got words like he is a rock, he is a sun, he is a lamb. He is a lion, he is a judge, he is a shepherd, he is a shield. These are words telling us, describing and defining the reality of who God, God is. God uses words to define his creation. Adam and Eve find out who they are because God spoke who they are. 
Adam and Eve know what their purpose is in life because God said with words what their purpose was, which was to multiply, fulfill the earth, subdue it. Words direct. So they not only explain our experience, but they direct our experience. So we not only receive identity through words, but we understand our role and what we are to do. Words direct our relationships as we use language to know one another, understand one another. And I think in Genesis 1 and 2, one of the first things we see is that words actually belong to God. They are His. And then in His kindness, He gives those capacities, if you want to say, the agency to humanity to then also have words and language. But words belong to God, and therefore every word must measure up to God's standard and be according to His design. So our words, our speaking echoes the ultimate speaker. We see then in Genesis 1 and 2 that Adam and Eve use words. And they use words to God, they use words to each other. But in Genesis 3, something happens with words. For the first time in the human story, the serpent comes into the story and now uses words not to speak truth, but to deceive not to bring unity and relational harmony, but to bring division. And so the, ter- the serpent speaks and asks the question, did God really say? And just with a few words, humanity has never been the same. Words matter. Redemption comes because of words. Even in the story of Genesis 3, where the enemy has come, caused division, caused deceit, cause lies, there is the first ever use of words as a promise, where God promises His people that He would one day come and redeem the world. So His heel would crush the serpent's head, and the the serpent's head would bruise His heel. And so we see there in Genesis 3 that God uses words to be words of promise that would bring about new life. Even when this Messiah who was promised in Genesis 3 comes, He is known as what? The Word. He is the Logos. The Gospel is spoken as a Word. And that Word, that that truth of God and who He is and what He has done, brings new life to people, to human souls. And so God has made it that words matter. Words were significant in creation, words were significant in the fall story, words are significant in the redemptive story, words matter. And if you've been married for at least more than a week, you know words matter. For those of you who uh, have done premarital with me, are doing premarital with me, or will do premarital with me, you've heard this over and over and over again, that good communication is saying the right thing in the right way, at the right time, in the right place. Any of those missing, think about your communication. That's why I don't talk. I just stay silent. Um, There there are things in the Bible sometimes that that are taken out of context, right? I think a verse that is often taken out of context is Proverbs 18.21, where it says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And so some of our... um, Pentecostal charismatic brothers and sisters have taken that to say, well, see, God used words, He's given us words, now we use words in the exact same way so we can create with our words. 
And so sometimes that, that gets con- construed and used in a way which says uh, that we have supernatural power. Uh, the issue sometimes with that, I think, is that sometimes those people who are teaching that stuff probably should, should think about using words just to work on their aging process. I don't know why they haven't applied it in that way to, to reverse their aging process. They haven't done that. Um, and so our, our brothers and sisters who sometimes maybe go too far with this, we would say, no, no, words are powerful, but we can't create with our words in the same way that God can. There is a distinction between God and humanity. Okay, But conservative churches like ours sometimes go the other way and to the other extreme, and we go, well, words don't matter, and words don't have power, and words can't actually lead to the building up or the pulling down. And Jesus is saying in this passage, your words really matter. And not just that you speak them, but that you keep them. Because that's how God created words to be used. Words are to be spoken and they are to be grounded in truth and faithfulness, not falsehood and faithlessness. And so Jesus is on this mountain. He is teaching his kingdom people. And he is is slowly kind of unpacking how the righteousness of his people should exceed that of the Pharisees. And the way that he's doing that is he keeps pulling up certain aspects of life and keeps pointing to, well, we need to get to the heart of this particular matter because when you dig down deep, that's where you see true righteousness. And so the Pharisees have been using God's word in a way that they're not actually living. It's not deep down in their heart. So they don't murder with their hands but they harbor bitterness in their hearts toward people. And Jesus is like, well, you need to let God's word go deeper because the command to not murder was, was more than that. They, they don't commit adultery, but they're allowing lustful thoughts to, to remain in their mind and they're not taking those thoughts captive. Next week, we're going to look at the fact that, that they can love certain people, but they don't want to love their enemies. And here, Jesus wants to have a chat with them about their words and how they use their words. And of all of them, of, out of all the things that we're going to look at, I find this one the, the one that I break all the time because I say so many things that I don't do. If we were just to ask you all to put up your hand, if I've ever said to you, I will pray for you, pretty much everyone except for those of you who've, who are new here would put up your hand. Yeah, you've said that. What I don't want God to ever do is put onto a screen how many times I actually prayed for you. I definitely thought about praying for you. I definitely intended to pray for you. But I probably, between like that door and the second door out there, probably completely forgot about you and didn't pray about you. And some of you, like right now, are shaking your heads. Some of you are laughing because you, you do this all the time, you sinners. You, you dirty sinners, you. <laughs> and so what Jesus wants to do here is he, he wants to talk about this thing called oaths. And so he's going to talk about what was said about oaths He's going to challenge some thoughts around oaths, and then he's going to bring what he thinks they should understand. So number one, what was said about oaths? So he says in verse 33, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Okay? So this is the idea of them making promises. Now, you and I, we live in a modern written context, which means that when we make promises, we sign documentation, okay? We talked about this last week, the difference between covenant and contract. But in general, when we make a a, a verbal promise, we, we write it down. So if we get married, we sign, we sign, witnesses 
see it and a witness signs. When we go and do uh, buy a house, when we sell a business or whatever, we're, we're having third parties even come in and we're signing contracts. That was really, really rare in ancient culture because they're, they're more of an oral culture. So they would be more verbal. So the way that they make contracts was essentially, majority of the time, was a verbal contract. I've said it, you've said it, they've witnessed it. And so they would make oaths, they would make promises. But there is clear boundaries to how you are to make that in the Bible. And so we see this in uh, even just in the Ten Commandments, right? Exodus 27, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Often, you know, as a parent, I've taught my kids not to say a certain word sometimes. They can, they can say, gosh darn it, you know, maybe, uh, but not something else. If you're catching my drift, there's, there's a way in which we can use God's name, which is not adhering to it being holy and respectful. But, but typically, what, what the Old Testament actually meant by this was, don't say God said something if he didn't. Don't put God's name to something when his name is not on it. Don't put his stamp on it if it's not in it, right? This is why the, the prosperity gospel is an offense, because we're saying God said something that he didn't say, and we're putting God's stamp on it, right? And so we're not supposed to do that. Leviticus 19.12 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of the God. Psalm 50.14, though, also says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and perform your vows to the Most High. So, it's a sense in which it's okay to use God's name on something. You read the book, books that Paul writes, he uses it all the time. But it's like, but you better make sure that God actually said what he said. And if God did say it, you can put God's stamp on it. So, there are things I can say to my children, God says do, God says don't. And then there are other things in which I can't say that. I can say I say do, I say don't but I can't put God's name on it. And so what the Pharisees do in Jesus' day is they kind of break up oaths into two different categories. There are binding verbal agreements and there are non-binding. So yeah, we won't say this agreement is done in the presence of God, but we might say this is done according to heaven. So, so who here has ever said, I swear on my mother's life? Who's here said that? Okay. I don't know why Dan's laughing. That's it's funny. Um, who here has said, hand on heart, hope to die? Uh, who here has said, I swear to Yahweh? Who's, who's done that one? I swear, to, I swear to... Okay, a few of you? Yeah, blasphemous. Okay, I've got you. We've got you on video, I hope. Okay. Um, we have certain things that sometimes we say, no, no, I swear, I promise, right? This is what they're doing, but they're kind of making these different categories. And so the, the scripture says, well, don't swear falsely. Um, and they're like, yeah, but that means only when you invoke God's name, but you can invoke other things and it's fine and you can break that promise. And so if you read Matthew 23, 16 to 22, later on he says, woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple... It is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, well, that's a real serious, that's really serious. He is bound by that oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And 
You say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. Right? So they're making these categories. If you, if you swear by that, you better keep your promise. But if you do this one, it's okay, you can break your word. And Jesus is like, no. That's, that's not what it means to swear falsely. And so an, an oath which contained the name of God was absolutely binding because you used the name of God. But if you don't use the name of God, it's fine. And so Jesus now comes and says, let me challenge you about how you see oaths. 34, but I say to you, if that's how you're going to use oaths, don't make them. Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Jesus is saying, if you can't keep your word, if you can't keep your promise, don't promise anything. Fletcher and I have this saying, under promise, over deliver. And I'm teaching him that if you say you're going to be home at six o'clock, what time does he need to be home? Yeah, before six o'clock, right? So what I say to him is like, if you're planning on being home at six o'clock, don't say you're going to be home at six o'clock. Say you're going to be home at 6.30 and then get home before 6.30. So he's, he's learning that this sense of like, if you're going to say you're going to do something, do it. And actually go beyond just doing it. Do it Do it better, do it quicker, do it earlier. If you can't keep your word, don't give your word. Jesus is not saying that you can never make a promise or swear by something, because that's all throughout the Bible. Making oaths and making promises is not inherently wrong. It's that if your word is used, it should be used for truthfulness and faithfulness to keep your word. So from now on, you will never hear me say, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> I'm going to say, and some of you may have experienced this, I'm going to try to remember to pray for you. Because I'm trying to course correct and say, that's, that's actually my promise. My promise is to attempt. <laughs> I'm going to do what I can. And he's also saying, don't compartmentalize God in your life. This is what they're doing, right? It's like, well, you can't use Yahweh's name, but you can talk about his temple. So I swear to the temple, I swear to heaven, I swear to earth. And so what they're doing is they're like, I'm making promises, but I'm not invoking God's name. And he's like, you can't make a promise without invoking God because God gave you words, they're his. So anything you say is God speak. Think about that. Now, all of a sudden, now we're all sitting here going, oh, words have a whole new level to them. Heaven, well, that's God's home. Earth, that's God's footstool. Jerusalem, that's God's city. Hair, you can't make... My wife would love it if I could turn this ginger into grey. She would love it. And I try, I sit there in the mirror and I'm like, go grey and it won't. It just comes out more ginger. Okay? You cannot change the colour of your hair by thinking about it or saying it. You have to go to someone who has peroxide and they do it just before your wedding. All right? Some of you understand that joke. Your hair belongs to God, so you can't even swear according to your hair. Do you see what he's doing? He's going, don't compartmentalize God in your life. You can't do that. In other words, how you act on Sunday shouldn't be holy and righteous, and then come Monday, it's unholy and righteous because God is here in this room and God's there tomorrow. 
how you speak at church, the way you treat people here on a Sunday. We're tempted to do this. Are we getting a little bit real here? Sorry if we're getting a little bit raw. Okay, we're tempted to be like all happy, clappy, and all smiley, smiley, and God this and God that. And then come Monday, we're different. And he's saying, that's not how God works because God is everywhere. So God sees your Monday morning. God sees your Tuesday. God sees your Wednesday. God sees your Thursday. God sees your Friday. Some of us, maybe, maybe let's, can, we get, can we get more real? Because I can tell you guys are loving this. Um, we'll bring the book on a Sunday. And we'll even do this. But on a Monday, it's, sorry Shane, that's Shane's Bible. It's, it just sits there and we, 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 we forget about it, right? Um, don't compartmentalize God. Don't do that. He goes on to say, in Matthew 23, verse 19, You blind men, for which is greater the gift at the altar that makes the gift sacred. So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and him who sits upon it. You cannot compartmentalize God in your life. And church, we are so tempted to do this in the West. To make the Sunday the thing and Monday not the thing. God wants to walk with you every single day. God wants you to commune with Him every single day. God wants you to think about Him every single day. God doesn't want our Sunday to look different from our Monday. Our Sunday is to help fuel us for Monday. So come tomorrow morning when we get up, we've had our hearts already at the beginning of the week. We've set aside the, the Sunday. We've given God His day. We've said we're reorienting our hearts back towards you. And so now for the rest of the week, and then we're prone to wander. So then again, we come back again on another Sunday. Like we hear the good news of Jesus and what He's done for us again. And our hearts get reoriented back to Him again. And then slowly over time, we actually become like people who are consistent with integrity. And this is Jesus' point about oaths. He says, let what you say simply be yes or no. And anything more than this comes from evil. What he means is anything more than this comes from the serpent that was in that garden who twisted words and started to use them for falsity, division. And so Jesus' point has been God's people pursue peace. God's people pursue purity. God's people pursue faithfulness to each other in marriage. And God's people pursue truth. Honesty, faithfulness, and wholeness. Think about this from just, just what we say, right? We, we say that we have the claim on truth. If you're a Christian, you believe that there is no other way to God except through Jesus Christ. You have an exclusive... What have we got going on over here? Butterfly. Butterfly. It, beautiful, isn't it? The butterfly came because God spoke truth and the butterfly was. Now, back to him. <laughs> Our words should be used for truthfulness. Do, do you, like me, have a knack for like extending stories and making them a little... like You kind of got a version of the story that you think is a better way of telling the story. You know what I'm saying? I'm great at that. Every story I tell you, take about 40% off it and that's probably close to the real story. Right? I, I'm this extroverted person and I just love storytelling and then all of a sudden my wife's like, that's not what happened. I'm like, really? And now after a while I've told the story so many times I actually think that's what happened? You know? And it's like, 
you're so far up. That, that's, that's me, right? And, and, and I shouldn't do that. Because words should be used for truthfulness. So I need to be careful of that. Do you make slight twists in conversation to make yourself look better? Do you drop in words in a way that makes you look like the smartest person in the circle? That's a use of words that is trying to be actually deceitful. We shouldn't do that. And that can be hard sometimes because some of us get invited into rooms where they're really, really smart people, really, really impressive people, and we want to impress them. And we're tempted to do that. James, Jesus' half-brother, goes on to say in James 5.12, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by an oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Says the exact same thing his brother said. We live in a day of fake news, do we not? Where one side of the political spectrum will say, misinformation, disinformation. And this side will throw another grenade. Misinformation, disinformation. And you and I live in the middle of just every political spectrum, every sort of, whether you're on the left, conservative, right, you know, uh, sorry, right, conservative, left, more progressive, they're all lying all the time. And you and I don't know the truth. Right? And it's frustrating because it's like we just want to know what really happened. Who really made this call? Where did that money really go? What did you really know? We live in a world which is constantly using words to divide and deceive. And we are called by God to know let's not be like our world. Let's be different. So let's use our words to be true and truthful. Because that also gives us, when we say we have a claim on truth and then we are untruthful, we discredit the claim on the truth that we, we say that we have. And the world's going, who speaks truth? And imagine if the church would be the place where everybody was honest and you could trust their word. Then when we start speaking about the truth claim of Jesus, we've got credit. But how much have we seen in our culture, the church... Swipe stuff under the carpet rug and won't come out and be honest about everything that's happened historically in the church because we're scared of the claims that are going to come against us, the financial claims, and the church just looks like a bunch of liars just like the world. And Jesus says, not my kingdom people. We're truthful. Our words are to not only be truthful, but they should be faithful. And so the issue is not avoiding oaths or making promises the issue is making them and keeping them. Craig Blumberg says, Jesus' followers should be people whose words are so characterized by integrity that others need no formal assurance of their truthfulness in order to trust them. I, I, got, I got an issue with, with Facebook and people sending me events because I'm like... I. I I can't say yes, no, or even maybe. <laughs> you know, it's like you get the event comes through and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to go. And this is pretty much what most of us do. So we just don't respond. And the event sits up there. So am I, am I right? And we're like, we'll respond once we've basically worked out all of the options. And then, and then we'll forget to even let you know, sorry, we're not <laughs> coming. Oh, Facebook events, like, I'm like, I don't know. I can't think that far ahead. And then I just don't do anything. Our words are to be truthful, faithful, and our words should be whole. Because of the Christian understanding of God, we cannot divide life into compartments. We are unable to separate the, sac the sacred from the secular. 
and therefore we don't have one kind of language at work, we don't have one kind of language in the home, we don't talk a certain way only in certain groups, but because we are so shaped by God's Word and God's truth, our language is the same throughout. I had a boss some years ago who I was working for who went to church and he criticised me one day, he was at our church, he criticised me one day for saying the word crap. He said, you should never say the word crap in church. And it messed with my head because I'm like, but I hear everything you say at work. And the, the bombs that you drop at work are like far worse than the word crap in my hierarchical scale of language. And what I realised is that he was compartmentalising. This is the holy place. That's the secular place. Live a certain way in the holy place, but once you leave the holies and the holy of holies and the temple and the throne and the presence of God, go live your way. And Jesus is saying, that's not how it works for kingdom people. We live the same. And do you know why we do that? Because the words tell us that Jesus, God, is what? The same yesterday, today, and forever. His character never changes. That's why he's not moody. That's why he's not up and down. If he says he loves you, you can trust his word that he loves you no matter what you've done because he is the same. If he has said that he has forgiven you, then you are forgiven, my friend, because he has said it and he doesn't forgive one day and then bring it up later in the conversations to use it against you because he said it was forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, it is gone. So people ask, are there things that God can't do? Yeah, there are. Some things God can't do. God can't lie. God can't remember things that he said he will put out of his mind. So there are so many things that God could use against me, but he said, as far as the east is from the west, it's covered. It is done. The blood of Christ has covered you. You are forgiven and you are free and walking. All the blessings, all the good things we have in God are because his word is sure. His word is true. It never changes. He is truthful. He is faithful. And no matter what the context, it is the same. Amen? So some of you need to even be reminded of that today. You are worried and you are, you are thinking about your relationship with God and worried whether God could really love you. He loves you. It's settled. It's done. Could He, he has forgiven you. Can He fix this relational problem? He said He can. So this is God's word. He is who he says he is. He has done what he says he has done, and he will do what he says he will do. Amen? Now in light of that, live. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that it is powerful. And that when you speak, it is. So much so that you can't even say and separate who you are from your word. You are the word. In the beginning 
was the Word. And God, many of us here, we, we use our words in different ways. We compartmentalize our lives often. And therefore, we need to come back to your word again to be reminded that that's not you. That's not how you operate. That's not your character. That's not your nature. And your word tells us that you are making us to become more like you. So where we fall down, where we fall short, we are reminded that your grace is for us, your mercy is for us. And you don't just forgive us, you change us, you transform us. So who we are today is not who we will be in a few years from now. We, we will be more holy, we'll be more like you, we will use our words better because your grace is continual. And Jesus, thank you for speaking life into our hearts through your word. Thank you for sustaining our lives through your word. And thank you for securing our future because of your word. And may we consider our words and how we use them in your kingdom for your purposes. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.